Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we have a mailbag pod for you guys. Ooh. Ben and I answer your burning and not-so-burning questions about Seku's development, players that Pistons fans should keep an eye on in the NBA bubble, and what we would change about the Detroit Pistons draft history. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this offseason. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. This is the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing today? Laz, I'm doing good. Looking forward to some basketball. We've seen some scrimmages. We are a mere days away from some NBA in July, right? Weird. So, doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. I am. Uh, I'm also excited about the return of basketball, both men and women's. I'm just coming down off a terrible uh, Aces loss in the in the women's bubble, the Wubble. And so, <laughs> as like it's been a long time since I cared about the outcome of a basketball game, and so it's good to have that feeling back in my system. You know, I hear that. Yeah, but we uh we are going to talk about the Pistons though, and we're going to do a mailbag. Uh, we hadn't heard from you guys in a while, so I wanted to do a mailbag, see what you guys were thinking about during this uh, this return to play. Um, thanks to everyone on Twitter who submitted questions. Um, first question is from our good friend Hal Bridius. What's up, Jake? How can anyone possibly have a burning Pistons question? question? Literally nothing has happened for three months. Yes, that was officially my question. So, Ben, how can anyone possibly have a burning Pistons question? Well, I tell you what, Les, all I can say to that is some of us are real Pistons fans, and that fire deep inside never goes out, if you know what I'm saying. So <laughs> the questions are always burning, my friend. No, I mean, I get it. Weirdest off season ever, right? Uh, no draft, no free agency in sight. Uh, the doggest dog days of NBA summer have been this summer. So thanks for starting off uh, with a little humor, Jake. Appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, people are curious as always, but there's really only curiosity about uh, a couple of topics. And so getting like the full perspective around those topics, I think is important and how perceptions of uh, what the correct path is like evolves and stuff over time, I think is also important. But yeah, like it's 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 already been a long off season for the Pistons and it's only going to get longer. And so, like, yeah, strap in, guys. We're, we're, we're going to get through this together, I promise. <laughs> it's going to be a while. All right, so questions from T. Mormon NBA and Brady Grenier. Not sure how to say that. Sorry, Brady, for butchering that. We're talking about the draft, so Laz is the right man to ask. Assuming we get worst-case scenario and fall to the ninth pick in the lottery, and the three main guard guys are gone, Edward Hayes Ball. 
Do you look at guys like Vassal or maybe trade down? What would you do? Second part of that question, let's say we jump to the seventh or eighth. All the top players are gone, kind of all those same names. Should we take Vassal and then trade up into late lottery range to select a point guard like Lewis Jr. or Maxi? Thoughts? So this is this is kind of tricky because as we both know, Ben, the Pistons have been like just snake bitten in the lottery for the entirety of their existence. And so it is, you know, I am uh, preparing myself mentally for the eventuality that the Pistons end up in like the worst case scenario where they're like eighth or ninth. Um, in a case like that, I think you really have to look at how the board starts to play out. Um, I think that's in the range of a guy like Akira Lewis. Um, that's not where we're hearing a range for a guy like Tyrese Maxey. Uh, what everything I'm seeing and hearing is that Tyrese Maxey is going to be like a, a just after lottery guy, like in the 15 to 20 range. Um, so I don't think that's a name that you would expect to hear, even if the Pistons fell to like eighth or ninth. Um, I will say that from what I'm also hearing and reading, it appears that uh, a guy that I'm really interested in, in Killian Hayes, is not valued by a lot of NBA teams. Like his stock appears to be on the decline. Um, and so you, you, I can see a world in which he's still available at eight or nine. And in that world, like I'm definitely interested in that. Um, I also think like, you know, Devin Vassell was another name that was brought up. Um, I think Vassell would be, uh, that'd, that'd be a fine pick uh, at the eight or nine range. as like a good value pick for the Pistons, but it'd be really tricky to maximize what a guy like Devin Vassell, who's like this, team defender, um, 3 and D impact guy, it'd be really difficult to maximize what he brings to the team without the benefit of like additional ball handlers. And so you would still kind of be going into this offseason looking for more ball handlers, looking for more shot creators, uh, looking for more guys who can get you buckets. And instead of, you know, being able to get that out of the draft. So that'd be kind of rough. That'd be kind of rough. But, you know, you know, falling the an estimated three to four spots in any draft, be kind of rough. I'm reminded of the the Phoenix Suns last year, who I think won 19 games and drafted uh, seventh. Yeah, I believe. Ugh. Yeah, like that is that's that's impossibly rough. And so, like, yeah, I think the but there are some good players down in that range, and the Pistons could make the best of a bad situation um, were that to happen. All right, Ben. The next question comes from Lance Coparosi. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, would you come on the three championship drive podcast and talk Pistons? Lance, I'd be delighted to, but honestly, maybe that question was directed at Laz and that smooth NPR voice he's got, right? I mean, who wouldn't want that voice on a podcast is all I'm saying. Uh, thank you, Ben. Uh, Lance. Yeah, man. I'll come on your podcast. You just got to reach out and DM me. That's fine. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm a man of the people. I'm accessible. You know where I live. And I'm okay being seconds. Like, I mean, if Laz isn't available, you just hit me up. Yeah, no, and, and Ben's good for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben. Our next question comes from Noah Jensen at Real Noah Jensen 3. Who are some players in the bubble that Pistons fans should keep an eye on as potential free agent signings? You know, Laz, um, I was looking at the free agency list and prep for this this podcast, and I was reminded that I'm just not terribly in love with free agency this summer. Um, you know, the guy that's kind of been a troll all pick 
for a couple years now is Fred Van Vliet, right? Pistons need a point guard. Van Vliet is a solid player. He's in the bubble. Um, but, you know, I think obviously the Raptors are probably going to try to retain him, and I'm not even sure the Pistons ought to look at him. Uh, let's remember Christian Wood, even though not in the bubble, is still a guy the Pistons uh, got to deal with, right? He's a free agent. Pistons got to get that deal done. Um, if you've been paying any attention to NBA YouTube this summer, which is where I've been living a lot, there's a lot of Christian Wood fans out there and some pretty interesting highlight and analysis videos. So let's not forget about that. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. sort of jumps off the page. Ha, ha, ha. Um, I, I'm still sort of interested in Alec Burks. I mean, he had kind of a weird season last year. He is in his late 20s. Who knows what he's going to cost, but I mean, he gets buckets. The Pistons need some buckets. Um, so I'd watch what happens with him in Philly. Um, there was some reporting that maybe he's fitting in a little better during this extended time off uh, that they've had in the bubble prior to scrimmages starting. Uh, and then, oh gosh, I'm always going to get this name wrong. Pat Connaughton. Laz, you can correct me. I mean, he's no, an I was right. Choice. That was good. Is that right? Okay. I, I, I feel like I always want to to pronounce the G somehow, but you know, he's a guy who the analytics really like um, kind of having a breakout in, and still a rather limited role, but I think his game sort of would fit what the Pistons are trying to do. I mean, honestly, he probably fits just about anywhere as well, but you know, the free agency class doesn't get me jumping up and down. Uh, but those are at least a few guys that I'll be watching. What do you think class? Who are you going to be watching? I, I liked your selections of Pat Connaughton and Alec Burks. I kind of forgotten about Alec Burks yeah. just as a guy. Who, yeah, he had such a weird year. Yeah, and between Golden State and Philly, like just two diametrically opposed uh teams at this point in time. But yeah, like as a guy who can just get some get some buckets, come in on the cheap and uh, help you run some efficient offense. Like yeah, I, I like that a lot. Um I thought about Pat Connaughton too, but I thought about another uh Bucks player as long as we're just like, you know, collecting all the ex Milwaukee <laughs> Buck players. Uh, Sterling Brown. Mm-hmm. Both of those guys are really effective role players for the Bucks. Um, both of those guys kind of find themselves on the uh, like outskirts of what would end up being like the Bucks playoff rotation, and so it doesn't make sense to keep like either of those guys if you're not going to play them. And so, like, if either of those guys uh, ends up like an unrestricted free agent, like, yeah, I'd be interested fire the Pistons like they could be like some really effective role players and we're going to need to to fill some gaps in this roster um Derek Jones Jr. you mentioned uh some people really like him as like an unconventional big man next to Christian Wood I would need to see more um Jones is really he's really uh versatile uses his length and athleticism but the heat kind of leverage him in a way that I don't know if the Pistons should they use him a lot more in like zone uh coverages and I don't know how much zone the Pistons should be playing, uh, but that's like something that really uh, uses Derek Jones Jr.'s strengths. And so I'm, I'm not sure if he's like a good fit, um, but like, you know, that'd be, it'd be fun to watch that guy on a night to night basis. I'll give you that. It might be fun to watch Christian Wood try to play some zone too. I'm just saying. Might <laughs> yeah, get a right. little lost. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's like the usual guys we talked about in the past, like Harry Giles uh, third, D'Anthony Melton, Maryland's Noel. Um, guys that will be in the bubble and are, you know, on the younger side, uh, t- under 25, um, and play positions that will, you know, be able to get them like early, uh, playing time in Detroit and, you know, 
are slightly valued by their teams. Not really. I think the Grizzlies really like Melton. Um, the, the I don't know where Nerlens Noel stands really with the Thunder. He didn't play in their first scrimmage against the Celtics. And I noticed that. And I kind of had my eyebrow raised at that. I wondered why, what was happening there. And then uh, Harry Giles III, like the Kings are have a lot of big men on the roster. And they, they're really invested in Marvin Bagley. And like who knows what they do in this year's draft either. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a guy that would be we, – we identified that guy kind of early on as a guy you could maybe pick off. But, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of team. There are a lot of teams in the bubble right now. There are a lot of players. Um, anybody who's, like, young, like, under the age of 25 and, uh, like, relatively good on defense, like, the Pistons should definitely be interested in. Um, absolutely. I like that. I like I like the idea of Nerns Noel as well. I think he could he could be a nice pickup. The Pistons need a guy like him in their front row, court rotation. All right, so uh, next one is, and if this is a Spanish pronunciation, then it's at Cayanando. If it's not, it's Colonando. So uh, let us know if we got that anywhere close to correct. Uh, with the seemingly perfectly usable Palace of Auburn Hills recently destroyed, does Tom Gores care at all about making money as the owner of the Detroit Pistons? This is, it's, I thought this was a weird question just because like no one was using the Palace of Auburn Hills for anything. It was in, it, it was, you know, it was uh, demolished fairly recently, but it's not like they had a bunch of concerts out there in, in Auburn Hills uh, in the last couple of years anyway. Um, and so I, I maybe there is an opportunity to, um, you know, turn the palace into something else. I still think like Platinum Equity like owns that land. And so like maybe there'll be some some other development of some sort uh, up in Auburn Hills. But yeah, I don't I don't really think that the palace was like destroying the palace is like the loss of this big money-making opportunity. Does that make sense to you, Ben? It does. I mean, I, I think the Platinum Mental Group obviously knows how to make money a little more than I do, so I'm not going to question them <laughs> yeah. too much. You know, I, I will say as someone who's lived in the mid-Michigan area for, for over a decade now, um, you know, Auburn Hills is just not a terribly convenient location. There's no good straight line to get there. Um, it's actually easier for me to get to downtown Detroit from where I live and the, the area of downtown Detroit is just so, so much more interesting to me um, than the location of the palace. I've got great memories there. My bachelor party was at the palace uh, Pistons versus Celtics playoffs game, game three. So, I mean, I've got super fond memories, but you know, you think about the current world we're living in, what are the 12 months, uh, you know, upcoming going to look like in terms of large gatherings you think about the fact that it's not really a marquee location, just geographically, you know, it, you know, I think of it kind of like, you know, look what's happened to the Silverdome, right, over the years after the Lions moved out. I think, you know, honestly, you're right, Laz, there wasn't a whole lot going on. It's probably unlikely that was going to change anytime soon. So it felt really weird watching that building implode on Twitter because I have such fond memories there. But um I, th- I think it probably was the right business decision for those guys. Yeah. So Ben, I wanted to ask you kind of a, a follow-up to this question. Do you think Tom Gores is doing a good job as the owner of the Detroit Pistons? I, I don't, I can't point to anything he's doing and say, Oh, that's absolutely a terrible decision. Um, which is an odd way of answering the question. I know, but um, I, I, I wish he would have moved on from Joe Dumars sooner. 
that's probably the only thing he's done that I, I really would criticize really significantly. Although I understand why he took his time. Dumar's obviously a legend in spite of the, the position the Pistons were in when Gores purchased the team. Um, handling that sensitively was, was probably the savvy way to do it. Um, I, I think the other thing that you can maybe question is should he let Stan Van Gundy have coached for his final season of the contract rather than moving on entirely? Um, to me, that's a bit of a coin flip. There's a part of me that is is really curious what Van Gundy could have done with that Blake Griffin-led um, offense for an entire season. Um, but, you know, but at the same time, I, I don't feel like Dwayne Casey has been a step down or anything. I think uh, he's, he's still a very good coach. He's obviously a great human being. Um, and then the, the third thing, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more when we're talking about what would it look like if the Pistons were in the bubble. You know, it seems like Gorse has really brought quality human beings into the organization. You look at the fact that they just haven't had any drama. They haven't had significant conflict. Um, they seem to just be about quality people making good decisions and, and hard work and all those sorts of buzzwords, but but really are good things that you want. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I don't have any bones to pick with Coors. I wish they were winning more. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he's been, he's been a good order. And then I, I think I'll lie. I'll say one more thing. I love the thing of the team back down to Detroit. I think LCA is a beautiful arena. You know, I think once we put COVID in the rear view mirror, um, we're going to continue to see that place grow and be really a premier venue within the NBA. It's a beautiful facility. Um, hopefully Detroit gets to pick up back where it was prior to COVID because, uh, Detroit really has been emerging um, and, and sort of rebounding from um, all of the, the difficult economic times it was hit. So, yeah, I mean, on the whole, I like what Gorse is doing. Yeah, I, I agree for what it's worth. I think for for the most part, there's nothing I can really like you. You put it really well. There's nothing you really point to and say, like, Tom Gores did this wrong. Um, the I think the like the best sign of good ownership and good management is that they don't micromanage, right? We have lots of examples of micromanagers among NBA owners, yeah. and those those franchises have not been successful. Or if they have been successful, it's been um, at like at the uh, at ignoring what the the owner is attempting to do. And so I think that Gore's you the best thing you can say about Gore's is that he tends to hire people and then support them. Right. He uh, doesn't, you know, you went back to Dumars. He didn't necessarily like instantly fire Dumars. He gave him a chance to prove himself. That didn't go well, but he gave him a chance. Right. He supported Stan Van Gundy. He supports Dwayne Wade. And, he, you know, even though the Pistons have currently like hired a general manager in Troy Weaver, but like that was the guy they had targeted two years ago. And he supported at Stefanski the entire time to the point where Ed, you know, is still in place as a, you know, member of the front office of the Detroit Pistons. And so that to me is the sign of good management that he just, he hires people and he's not micromanaging the team. Like, would I like the team to be more successful under his watch? Absolutely. <laughs> right. But I don't think that, um, I don't think that he's done a, a poor job of running the team. Um, you know, maybe if you think the mentality of like trying to make the playoffs every year was a, was a big detriment. Like I, I understand that, but I, that's, that's a really counterintuitive thing to uh to learn and so i don't expect a relatively like new ish owner like tom gores to to get that right like that doesn't that, that i understand why he wasn't about losing up until now i understand why it took him you know 
the better part of a decade to to be comfortable with losing some basketball games. So yeah, I, I appreciate you uh, you handling the change up well, Ben. Makes a... <laughs> yeah, good question. Yeah. It's those are interesting conversations too. So I mean, I could talk a long time about it, but um, yeah, good question. So our next question comes from uh, at Turberg Alert. Turberg Alert. Uh, <laughs> which Pistons player would be more likely would be most likely to break the bubble if they were quarantined? <laughs> yeah, this is the question that made me chuckle uh, as I was reviewing uh, reviewing the list, and it I, that's when I started thinking about the fact that the Pistons have just had no significant drama, right? Like if you think back to like the John Kuster years and the mutiny and all of that nonsense, like okay, Tracy McGrady would have been the guy, right? Like no question. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know who's the who's the Pistons Lou Williams, who's you know out doing his thing right i i don't know that they have any guys who would be prone to doing that right like maybe a guy like seku because of the cultural distinctions i don't know i don't know yeah i mean i think it i think it's seku just because the the team was already kind of mad at him for leaving for paris (laughs) when it wasn't immediately clear that the season was over but the, we all kind of knew the season was over but he like he didn't wait for the go-ahead he just went <laughs> and so i can i can see why like that example would lead me to say like it's most likely seku he's also the youngest he's 19 right. kids do uh not the smartest things on occasion i can say that because i was a kid once upon a time yeah. i'm sure you were too ben oh yeah um but yeah i mean like yeah it, it is good to look up and down the roster and be like yeah the pistons don't have many like knuckleheads like that's a that's a good feeling all right. Oh, we had a follow-up question from Turberg Alert. When the next time the Pistons play a game, oof, who knows when that's going to be? But the next time the Pistons play a game, what will the starting lineup be? So, what do you think the starting lineup would be, Ben? Yeah, I love this question. It's another really hard one. The only two names I feel confident in are Christian Wood and Blake Griffin. I think the Pistons are going to retain Christian Wood, and I think Christian Wood wants to stay. Uh, so, I think that's likely. That's our starting four or five. But then. You know, when you go beyond that, it gets it gets pretty murky. Like, is Seiko going to develop and become a starting caliber small forward by the time the Pistons start December, January, whenever it happens? Do we see the return of Luke Kennard and Derrick Rose in the second unit as opposed to the starting unit, which sort of makes Bruce Brown the de facto uh, shooting guard? And if so, what the heck does that mean for point guard? I mean, the Pistons have a lot of moving parts um, and really the front cards, the only part that seems um, stable enough to be confident in. What about you, Les? Yeah, I, you, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think uh, when everyone's healthy and when the Pistons return to play, I do think Luke will start. Uh, well, no, I think Luke will begin the season coming off the bench um, just because that's what happened last year. And for a time that was really effective. We all remember the, uh, the guns and roses bench unit, the, the short lived, guns and roses bench unit um you know i think you know you if you retain christian wood he's definitely in the starting lineup uh if you don't trade blake griffin which looks likely he's going to be in the starting lineup and so you're looking at you know uh derrick rose bruce brown tony snell christian wood and blake griffin and i i don't think seku will be ready to be in the starting lineup at this time uh next year but uh, or next season but I do think he will definitely be part of the rotation. I think the front office, the new front office, and uh, the current coaching staff understands that his development is really important to what this team is going to look like in a couple of years. And so I definitely think like he will be a part of the rotation. Um, 
I just don't think he'll be starting until he quote unquote earns it. So that's where we're at. All right, Laz, I'm going to let you take this next one too. Cause I don't know how to pronounce that last name. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So from, uh, from West Davenport at the real West D three, what is your opinion of Denny Abdija and his fit with Detroit? Has it changed since his season resumed? Where do you think his ceiling is? So Ben, Denny Avdija is a draft prospect. He's an Israeli uh, point forward. I think he just like he just won. Uh, I think he was just like named like first team uh, Israeli league. Um, and they've actually been playing basketball uh, in in Israel for like the last couple of uh, of weeks. And so he's been one guy who's been actually like enabled to enhance his draft stock because he's been like actually playing games. You can scout. You can watch. Um, Avdija is a really interesting prospect for me. Um, I do think his, uh, my opinion of Abdija has definitely gone up um, like during the draft process. Uh, I think he made some very appealing mechanical changes to his shot. Um, I know he still kind of struggles uh, from the free throw line and the shot has kind of gone up and down even in the return to play. But I, I feel comfortable uh, projecting that he'll be able to continue tweaking the shot and, uh, and be an effective uh, player. I think his ceiling, that's a tougher question. Um, I think his ceiling outcome is something like a better version, of, like a more athletic version of a, like a Dylan, a Daniel Gallinari. And I know I hate, I hate to do that because I hate to compare the European guys with the European guys. <laughs> but if you, if you look at, you know, playmaking uh, three fours who can really shoot the ball and leverage their size um, like in, and moving without the ball I, I like i that makes sense to me and so i i do think that uh denny has a, a chance to be like a really good player um i'm definitely intrigued by the potential of like putting two six nine ball handily get out and transition guys in denny and seku like next to each other like that's really interesting and so that's where that's where i'm at with denny of deja all right ben but wes also asked another question and i hope you'll be able to answer said are these nine months without games good or bad for seku could it be good because it's nine months of skill development or could it be bad since you know they're not playing structured basketball so i definitely think this is a good thing um i've talked about this on the pod before so i won't rehash it completely but i am 100 percent of the opinion that um the off season is the time when individual skill development happens and and gets accelerated um, you know, so much of basketball skill is about muscle memory and you get muscle memory by repetition after repetition after repetition. Uh, you know, most recently take a guy like Bruce Brown, who went from a, a absolutely dreadful three point shooter and as a rookie uh, to being an actual legitimate weapon um, from the corners. Right. Um, that only happens when you're literally doing that hundreds of times a day for week after week after week. Um, you know, that was my experience as a player. Um, that's the thing that all of the coaches and player development staff I ever worked with coached us up on. Um, you know, obviously I never played at the NBA level, but I, I think you can see this and it, it bears itself out season after season. You, you don't tend to see these really significant jumps in the middle of the season, unless you're talking about the, the rare exception of like, you know, these superhuman guys like Giannis or LeBron or something like that. I think most guys develop their individual skills in the off season. So from that perspective, 
you know, assuming that Seku's doing the things he ought to be doing right now um, to the maximum extent that he can, given the difficulties of the situation, he's 19 years old, which is just out of high school, right? I mean, if he's in the United States. Um, so this is a tremendous opportunity for him to spend hours in the gym working on, uh, you know, all the various components uh, of his game. Um, so I definitely see this as an opportunity for him. The, the big trap here, the big downside is the geography and the distance and the extent to which he's going to be able to interact with, you know, the professional coaching staff that the Pistons have in place. I think that's the real challenge of this situation. Uh, and that's a bit of an unknown. Um, but I would expect by the time we see Seiko on the floor again, this December, next January, whenever that happens to be, you know, I would expect to see those things that he developed through his repetition and his practice um, manifest on the court. And when the game comes around, that's when you really prove that the thing you've developed in practice that you can do in drill after drill after drill have really stuck because um, there's nothing like a game to prove to yourself that you've actually made the improvements in your game uh, that you know you've, you've done uh, on the practice court. So, yeah, I'm optimistic about this. I look at it as opportunity with the caveat that, um, you know, obviously we're in a sort of unprecedented situation. He's not necessarily as connected to the coaching staff as me. We might want him to be. Yeah. I will say that I think this is, I agree with you, Ben. I think this is good. The skill development aspect is good. Um, I think the things that Seku needed to work on the most are like his ball handling and uh, his shooting. Yeah. Like those are definitely the things that you can focus on in an area of skill development, like without playing games. And so like that fills me with more confidence that he'll be able to work on those things. Right. Like if he, I mean, like, it's also true that like it's difficult to practice like defense mm -hmm. as a as an individual from a mm -hmm. skill development standpoint, and Seku did need to improve on that end, and so that will I think be where game uh, like you know structured five on five game repetitions would be more important. But I, as much as I value defense, I do acknowledge that you know offensive uh, capability is more important for a star player in today's NBA. And so if you're hoping Seku can become a star player, like the things you want him to improve on can be improved uh, without playing structured games. So I, I think that's that. Um, the, the other thing is that like, I, I am encouraged that I think they're going to get some work in, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. we, we saw this week that the, all the young guys were back in Detroit. Um, we saw this week that um, there were, in the practice facility, like not all at the same time, kind of in dribs and drabs, but uh, they all they were all working together. We have, you know, rumors of a second bubble in Chicago for teams that aren't in the Florida bubble to be able to play scrimmages or, or practice against one another or something like that. Um, you know, I think that uh, something like that is definitely a possibility. Um, we we heard Troy Weaver on a podcast say that he was you know frustrated that the all 30 teams weren't invited to the Florida bubble. And, you know, you, we know he would love to be able to see like the firsthand, the, the player development that's going on. And so I do think that they, something's going to get worked out. Like there, there are going to be some uh, organized team activities or there's going to be a second bubble in a city that's, um, you know, currently like less ravaged than the rest of the country by COVID. Um, so I, I, I definitely think like, I'm not worried about Seku's like long-term development uh, by not playing games for nine months. 
which I think is like the real core of uh, of the question. All right, Ben. Last question. Last question is a doozy from <laughs> Jeff Jeff underscore Cam. Uh, of all the draft misses over the last eight to ten years, which player would you most want to have? Uh, Kawhi Leonard. Is that ten years? When was he drafted? No, yeah, uh, two thousand and eight. No, oh, so twelve no, years. It was, yeah, no, it's it it more recent than that. He was. Yeah, it's like two thousand eleven, right? Let's take a look. Okay, now I'm, now I'm going to Google this. We're going to. Yeah, I'm doubting myself because that was the name that. Um, yeah, 2011 was his rookie season. So Kawhi would have been, yeah, yeah. Kawhi would be the one. Um, obviously, one of the top, I think, three guys in the NBA. Um, he was the one the Pistons missed. And not just the Pistons, right? I mean, he went, like, what, 16th or 19th or something like that? Um, and, of course, the Spurs obviously didn't miss on him. So um, Kawhi Leonard would be the guy. But seriously, I mean – it's a pretty ugly track record in terms of drafting for the Pistons during that time frame. So there's several names we could, we could tease out of this question. Yeah, I think so. You like the other quote unquote, like easy answer is Giannis. But again, like Giannis was drafted 15th. A lot of teams missed on Giannis. I don't think it's fair to say that like Giannis should have been the pick when the Pistons were drafting. Um, but I do think the, the the player that I would like most like to have uh, like over, I think is the like the Stanley Johnson Devin Booker year. Yeah. I think that yep. Devin Booker was like as close as they came to like making the call. Um, like I think that Booker would have been like an instant uh, a star in Detroit. I think that Stan Van Gundy would have been a better coach than the coaches he's had uh, over the course of his career to get him to play defense and compete on that end. So, you know, under Stan Van Gundy, we might've seen a more uh, complete Devin Booker than we're currently seeing. And like, I think that would be, that'd be a really effective player. Um, And Booker is on the like cusp of superstardom like that. Yeah. The team that they have put together in Phoenix is going to be like really dangerous in the coming years. And so I think having that guy back would be, would be like that's the that's the one that stands out to me well that one is particularly interesting too because you think about you know position of need for the pistons over the past decade and they've just had such a gap in their shooting ability ball handling ability playmaking ability in the backcourt i mean um obviously the thing about Kawhi that's just so crazy to me is you think about who we drafted that season right um you know brandon knight versus Kawhi leonard i mean that's quite the contrast and then i think it it fits in your scenario as well. Like, you know, Stanley Johnson has just never become the guy we wanted him to become and maybe might not even stick in the league. I mean, that's a real possibility going into the summer, going into the summer. Jeez. It's the middle of summer. It's (laughs) it's July. (laughs) Right. It's almost August, but yeah, I mean, contrast there as well with, you know, the trajectories of those two careers for sure. Yeah. All right, Ben. Jeff asked another question. Which which draft mistake is the most egregious in hindsight? Oh man, is it the same time frame? Are we talking the same time frame here? Yeah, same. Yeah, same time frame. I mean, no, you can't use Darko. <laughs> yeah, Darko's twenty <laughs> years ago, right? Like that's right. Like that's we, so long. Yeah, we can give up the ghost on that. One. We have listeners who weren't alive then. I think at that point. So, um. There are going to be people who want me to say Donovan Mitchell and Luke Kennard, but I'm just not sold on Donovan Mitchell yet. I'm just not convinced he's 
a little bit, some of his numbers are a little bit empty, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I would probably say Devin Booker because that one was so obvious at the time. Like he, it was so obvious to me that he was, and I'm not even a draft buff. Like people know this. I don't, I don't pay as much attention to the draft as a lot of people do. Um, but it was obvious to me that he, he would have fit the Pistons. He would have fit Stan Van Gundy and what he was trying to accomplish on the court so well. Um, so that, yeah, that one is just really ugly in hindsight to me. Yeah. I think when I, when I thought of egregious, I went in a a different direction. I think the most egregious mistake is probably Henry Ellison. Oh, I was thinking that was what you were going to say. Yep. That's pretty Yeah. Like in, like in thinking about the type of player that the Pistons like have needed over the last decade, um, like the type of player Henry Ellison was going to be if he hit was just like not the type of player the Pistons have ever classically needed. Um, that was the same offseason they signed John Luer. So not only did you, you know, draft this guy that's going to take some time if he hits, you immediately block his path to playing time in like in a weird way. Um, th- you know, there were there was uh, like a need on the wing because there's perpetually been on the, a need on the wing. Um, Karis Levert went, I think like oh, right yeah. after Henry Ellenson and, you know, Levert was a Michigan guy. Uh, Pistons fans are really familiar with him. Um, there are other guys in that draft who went later, uh, like Pascal Siakam comes to mind, but you, you can't assume the development path Siakam has had in Toronto. So um, I, I, you know, I struggle to say like Siakam should have been the pick, but even a guy like a DeJounte Murray or even a guy like a, like a Malcolm Brogdon went in that draft, right? Yeah, the Pistons yeah. could really use a guy, uh, another like third point guard during the Stan Van Gundy era. And like Malcolm Brogdon would have been perfect for that. And so I think just like in terms of egregiously, like not getting any value like out of the pick. I think uh, Henry Ellenson is probably the answer there. As unfortunate as it was, as as optimistic as we all were for Henry, it just it just hasn't happened. <laughs> yeah, until he stepped on the court, we were all very optimistic. It just never happened. Yeah. I think honorable mention would be what was it SVG's final draft where they didn't have a first rounder, or was it that his second to final draft? Like not having a first round pick seems pretty egregious as well. Yeah, what did what did they trade that first round? Oh, that was the that was the prick they traded for Blake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's yeah. more understandable and less egregious because Blake Griffin was the re, right was the prize of that. But you know, not having a first, just, yeah, I don't, I just don't like yeah. that. Yeah, and having you know Shea Gillis Alexander on this team oh, right now would yeah. be would be great. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Okay. On that dour note, <laughs> thanks for the questions. <laughs> thanks for and the it question, was a downer. everybody. That's how you podcast. <laughs> keep keep them one and more. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for the questions, everybody. Um, we appreciate the support during COVID, during the long off season for the Pistons. Appreciate everybody who listens. Um, ben, let them know where uh, they can send more questions, maybe positive questions, happy yeah. questions. Yeah, let's talk on Twitter at br golker. I, you know, Laz, I'm wondering too. Little curveball at the end who are you going to be following, right? There's that series on the blog right now where we're trying to convince people to watch our, our pet teams. For me, I'm going to be the obvious one and follow the Bucks because they are just too much fun to watch, in my opinion. So I'm going to be tweeting about the Bucks here pretty soon, uh, in a week or so. Uh, at VR Golker on Twitter, Laz, where can we hear about who on Twitter, right? Which NBA team can we hear about from you? 
you can hear about the uh, the Pacers yeah. from me on Twitter at last chance at L A Z C H A N C E. Uh, the the Pacers just play a really different and like throwback style of basketball. They have a bunch of really interesting pieces that got uh, less interesting when we got the news about Demontis Sabonis's plantar fasciitis. Oh. That's really rough. Uh, yeah, like that. That is. Uh, they all I, every time you hear a guy has that, you just like expect like mentally like kind of check him off for the next six months. And so I hope uh, he's able to get the the rest that he needs in order to have that injury fully heal. But yeah, the the paces are really fun. Uh, I wrote about it on uh, on the site. You guys can can read about why uh, I'm cheering for a division rival. Some people got kind of mad about that. Um, some people got kind of mad that I'm cheering for the team that. Uh, is responsible for the malice in the palace like that wasn't 15 <laughs> a years lifetime ago. ago right and like i'm supposed to blame kevin pritchard for uh what ron artest did like not that that's not on the pacers that was on that's on ron artest but yeah yeah you uh can read uh that on the site i've got another thing in the hopper that i think is going to make people mad but that's okay i'm going to write it anyway uh, that's that's the tease that's the happy tease uh, for the podcast uh <laughs> thank you for listening everyone uh, we will talk to you guys, you know, in the future sometime. You guys know what it is. We appreciate the listen, though. Take care.